Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new, joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. Honored you guys have joined us uh, this morning. I want to say a shout out to those of you joining us online whenever or wherever. Man, thanks for tuning in with us and can't wait to the day we get to meet you at one of our campuses. Speaking of campuses, a shout out to our Prescott Valley campus. Thanks for joining in out there today. Uh, If you're new there, man, our pastors would love the opportunity to get to chat with you. Uh, You can do that by stopping out at uh, pastors, or sorry, Connection Central, uh, which is out in the lobby, the two high-top black tables, uh, they'll be there at the end of our service. For those of you here in the room of Prescott, again, thanks for being here. Also, if you're new, uh, we would love to meet you at Pastors Point, which is out the double doors and off uh, to your left. Well, today we're finishing out chapter 9 in the book of Romans. So we, as a church, have been walking through the book of Romans. We started back in August. And so we're finally now through chapter uh, nine today. And so we're in this series, Romans, the gospel for everyone. And one of the things that we've been doing throughout this series, which I think has been maybe my favorite thing that we've been doing is we've been reading the word of God together aloud. Like, I think there's just something about believers coming together in a room, reading the word of God and letting just the word of God speak how the word of God wants to speak. So If you have a Bible, you're going to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Uh, Romans 9, verse 30. If you have a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open that. Uh, You can follow along with us also on the screen, or you can follow along in your booklets uh, that we have provided for you guys. So if you're able, I'd invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet as we read the Word of God together. Here's the word of the Lord. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them. 
that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Let me pray for us. Father, uh, thank you for giving us your word. Jesus, thank you that you are the culmination of the law and righteousness for everyone who believes. Spirit, do a work in us today. Move in our hearts and in our minds, God, and speak in the way, God, that we need to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can be seated. Uh, Just as a quick reminder for maybe those of you who are new with us or maybe haven't caught these past couple of weeks, uh, what we've been seeing in chapter 9 is Paul trying to answer the question uh, for us if is why are the Israelites not in? If all of the promises in God's word were given to the people of Israel, how come so many of the Israelites are on the outside looking in? And the bigger question that then comes out of that is, has the word of God then failed? In which Paul has given us the resounding answer, no. The word of God has not failed. The Messiah Jesus has come. And what we've seen as we've been navigating and working our way through this is we've seen these two ideas come up. These two ideas are God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And as we've shared, these ideas have been talked about for hundreds of years in the church. And as we laid out last week in God's word, what we believe God's word calls us to do is to keep these at attention. To not elevate one or over the other. And it makes for a really difficult tension, but we think that's what God's word calls of us. And that's what we are trying to lay out as we move through what is a very hard text through the book of Romans. And so what you probably saw in chapter nine is a lot of God's sovereignty. What we see now as we move out of nine and into 10 is this idea of God's responsibility and how it plays out. And it plays out through how we choose to submit and obey and come to faith in Jesus determines if we're in or out. And so today what we see in our text is the Israelites who were in. They were the chosen people of God, but they were out. But the Gentiles who are on the outside looking in are actually the ones who were in. And the reason they were in was because of their faith in Jesus. And so let's dive into our text this morning and see what Paul has to say for us. So verse 30, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. And so in this text, and really all throughout Romans, Paul uses these two terms, Israelites and Gentiles, but he uses them in a very broad way. By Israel, he doesn't mean all the Israelites ever, right? As many Jews have actually received Jesus as Savior, Paul included. But broadly speaking, the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And their reaction to Jesus and the apostles, to the church, to Paul's own ministry, allowed Paul to speak generally of the Jews' rejection of Jesus. And the Gentiles, 
It's also descriptive in a very general sense. There are many, many Gentiles who do not believe in Jesus. In fact, the vast majority probably don't. But God has opened the door of salvation to the Gentiles. And many, many more Gentiles have accepted Jesus and believe in Jesus and become Christians than the Jews. And so that's how Paul begins this text. And it's, and it's astonishment at the irony. And why do we say irony? Because if you've been with us since the very beginning, or if you've read Romans chapter 1, Paul lays out for us how in Romans 1, the Gentiles, man, they were as far away from God as you could be. And he lists all of these things that they have done that separated them from God. And this is how he concludes it. He says, although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. So they knew these things were wrong, but they didn't care. And not only did they not care, they said, you should do them too, right? And so the Gentiles were people who we would probably classify as not caring about having a relationship with God, at least not the God of Israel. They lived openly in their sin. They worshiped idols. They were not pursuing righteousness. Honestly, I don't even know if they knew they were supposed to. But what happens is the gospel message is preached to them. And I don't think it's very hard to convince people who are a mess that they need Jesus. I think what happens is, is for a lot of us and for our Israelites is what we see is it's those of us who think we have it all figured out and have it all together. It's hard to convince us that we need a savior. And so how did Israel or how did the Gentiles, I mean, Receive this faith? How did they obtain this faith? It wasn't by their righteous works. It wasn't based on their moral upstanding. It wasn't on anything that they did, right? It wasn't based on their ability to become a Jew outwardly. What we see, the text tells us really simple that they received it by faith. That's it, by faith. Belief and trust in a God who, as Paul has told us, that his word has not failed. A God who said he would send the Messiah to save all of creation. And it has happened. And that's what they have faith in. But see, something happens with our English language that messes us up. This word righteousness is also this word. It's this word justice. See, in the Old Testament, you'll see these words actually together most times. You'll see justice and then righteousness. What happens, though, is we move into the Greek language. These words are actually the same. And so a lot of times translators will translate it righteousness, and they won't translate it justice. But some of them out, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for. We know the word is righteousness, but it's actually justice, too. And so what happens is, is we see righteousness, and we think of a noun, of something that I am, a moral upstanding. But when we hear justice, it's something that is done. It's something like a verb. And that's the way we should see this. It's not just this moral upstanding. It's so much more than that. Justice and righteousness, best understood, would be defined as this. God making all that is wrong with the world right through Christ. God making all that is wrong with the world right through Christ. It's active. It's something that God has done is doing, and will continue to do until Christ returns. This is all about God and nothing about us. 
This is about God and his own faithfulness to fulfill his promises. You see, what we know is everything is broken because of sin. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, we learned in Romans 8 that all creation is crying out. All creation is groaning. And only God could do something about it. And so for Paul, what he's saying is that the gospel declares God's righteousness, justice, despite all appearances. You see, it seems as if God has lost. It seems as if Jesus came and then died and it was over, but we know it's just the opposite. You see, because of Jesus' death on the cross, God has kept his covenant with Abraham. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, that means God has properly dealt with sin. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, that means God has acted and will act without partiality. And because of Jesus' death on the cross, it upholds all those, all those who would cast themselves helpless for God's mercy. And so Paul says that our Gentile brothers and sisters, us, we found it. We've obtained it. We got what God has done for us. Nothing that we did for ourselves, but all of what God has done, but not Israel. He says, but the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness have not obtained the goal. It wasn't for lack of trying. They kept trying and they kept pursuing it and they kept working for it, but they just couldn't reach it. Think of a ladder that you're trying to climb and there's this rung that you just keep trying to get to and you can't. And you can't reach it. No matter how hard you try or what you do, you just can't get there. And why could they not achieve the goal? Look what Paul says. Because why not? Well, Paul, how come they haven't got it? It's because they pursued it not by faith, but what's the opposite, but as if it were by works. And so when we hear this word works, think works of the flesh. Something that you are doing out of your own energy, which is in contrast to works of the spirit, which we saw also in Romans 8. But faith is about trust absolute dependence on God. And see, what happens is, is works, they trick us. They convince us that what we've done, God now owes us. That all of the good that we do, God should give us more. That's what happened with Israel. You see, they believed that they were owed this righteousness because literally, they're the people of the promise. Like they are the, the physical descendants of Abraham. To theirs were the covenants and the temple worship, the divine glory, all Paul had already mentioned in the beginning of chapter 9. All of these things were theirs, and they thought they were in. What they forgot, what they didn't know and realize, is that all of those things were meant to point to the thing. And his name is Jesus. And so they missed him. And they missed seeing Jesus because they were so focused on everything else. And not only did they miss Jesus when they encountered Jesus, literally encountered Jesus, they stumbled. That's what Paul says in verse 32. In the back end, he says, they stumbled over the stumbling stone. How did they stumble? Well, the same way me and you do. You stumble when your eyes are on something else. You see, Israel was so focused on pursuing righteousness by the law 
that literally they missed Jesus right in front of them. And then when presented with the truth, they stumble over it. You see, the system, again, of the religion that they built had drove them to become so focused on pursuing righteousness based on a law that, again, they missed everything about the fact that everything about the system was to point to the Messiah. And Jesus, he tells them this. This is one of Jesus' interactions with them. In John chapter 5, he says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that what? Testify about me. Look what Jesus says. Yet you refuse. You refuse to come to me to have life. The very things you're studying, you're in them, you're pouring your life over, and I'm telling you, I'm right in front of you, looking at you face to face. And you refuse to come to me. And Paul, he knew this. And why? Because this was Paul. See, Paul wasn't somebody on the outside looking in. Paul was on the inside who was now on the outside going, I was you. This is what Paul says about himself. He says, if anyone else in Philippians chapter 3, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Like, dude would have got the gold sticker on on the report card. Like, Paul passed all of the tests. He knew. He did everything right. And look what he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And look what he says as he goes into nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So when Paul looks at the Israelites and say, I know why they're not in, he understands. He gets it. He was literally them. He knew what it was like to pursue righteousness on his own. Like, so what we're reading in Romans wasn't some scathing thing from somebody on the outside pointing fingers. No, this was a guy who, until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was out. And then he meets Jesus. And everything has changed. You see, sometimes I think we are, though, like, we feel like we're on the outside looking in. We look at Israelites and go, how could they miss it? How could they not see Jesus? How Jesus was right there in front of them. Jesus was walking around with them. How do they crucify the Messiah? But honestly, I don't think we're really that different. I think a lot of us, like Paul, we put our confidence in the flesh. We have our own rules and our own code and our own way that we've devised to make us look really righteous. So many of us to actually admit that we need a Savior named Jesus is just as much of the stumbling block. But for many of us to admit that we are weak, I don't like that, that I'm wrong, that God's ways are actually greater than my ways, nope. You mean to tell me that I'm not enough? That I can't save myself? That I'm not a good enough person? But man, I've been hearing that I'm special from kindergarten. 
I've been hearing that I'm, I can do whatever. No. You mean to tell me that all the good that I've stacked up over the course of my life, it doesn't save me? And so when presented with submission to Jesus, we stumble. Because we can't accept, can't accept that our ways and our rules and our pursuit of self-righteousness won't obtain the goal. It can only come by faith. And Paul knew not only this truth, but he knew this is what God's word had said. The Old Testament passage he referenced, he says, as it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. This word for rock is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 16 when he looks at Peter and says, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell cannot overcome it. And what was the rock that Jesus was talking about? It was Peter's confession that Jesus is the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God who is here. The word for rock is also the word used and found in Matthew chapter 7 with the wise and foolish, wise and foolish builders. And Jesus teaches that if we're obedient to the word and if we build, it's what we're to build on. So that even when the storm comes, if you've been doing this long enough, you know the storm comes. Some of you are in the storm right now. But the wind and the waves may beat against the house. But our foundation is sure because it's built on the rock. And you can't try to add to the rock and you can't take away from the rock. This is what you have to build on. This must be your foundation. This rock is the bedrock. It's immovable. And it's a good thing. You see, Jesus is the Messiah who has come. And it is that truth, that revelation of truth, that all other truth is centered around. It's the truth that the church is built on and nothing else. And when you believe in this truth, look what Paul, the Word of God says. You will never be put to shame. Never be put to shame. The world, our inner selves, the enemy may shout lies of shame and disgrace. But Christ through the cross has despised its shame. Christ despised shame because he saw beyond it. The shame is painful, but it was powerless to define Christ. Shame couldn't change Christ's identity or control his future. And shame had no influence, voice of influence over Jesus because Christ saw the joy beyond it. And so some of us, some of us are trapped in this perpetual cycle of shame and disgrace and disgust. And what Paul is saying is that if you believe, if you believe in the rock, that Jesus is the Messiah has come, you will never be put to shame. That we get to see beyond the shame and think through what God has done for us in Jesus. That it doesn't have to cripple us. That it, that it doesn't have to change our identity. It's powerless against you. The lies that the enemy is shouting at some of you, you've just got to refuse him and tell him no. But he has no place here. Because Jesus says, if you believe in me, you will never be put to shame. You see, what Paul knows is, is there's way too many of his brothers and sisters who haven't believed. And so in 10.1, he says, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to his Christian believers now in the church in Rome. He says, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, is that they may be saved. And this word for prayer right here is begging. 
pleading, crying out to God on their behalf. The question from a few weeks back that we asked was, who are you weeping over? Like, who is the person or the people that you're weeping over to know Jesus? For Paul, he said he was willing to risk it all, even his own salvation. He'd cash it all in if it meant that some could be saved. Because he believed that if they could just come to know God and see the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, that God could change them. Paul believed that he could actually cry out to the God of all creation, and it actually mattered that Israel didn't have to be destined to walk down this path, that they could choose a different one. She guys, the path they're on, this is what he knew of. He said, for I can testify about them, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. They were zealous for God, but it wasn't based on knowledge. So in the end, their zeal was a road that led to nowhere. Now, being sincere or zealous is not enough. You can be sincere and wrong. And the people of Israel were sincere in their desire to follow the law. But in doing so, they were sincerely wrong. Good intentions and being good people is not enough if you're mistaken about the truth of the gospel. You see, we live in a culture that celebrates, oh, it doesn't matter. You're good people. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it sincerely and fervently. Well, all roads lead to the same God. What does it matter what road you're on as long as it's meaningful for you? But all roads don't lead to the same place. Consider a for a moment, all the religions and billions of people over the centuries who have walked steps on their knees and made pilgrimages and done philanthropy and billions of other attempts to be right before God. Absolutely sincere, zealous, earnest, yet without God's righteousness given to us by faith in Jesus's finished work on the cross, no one is righteous, not even one. What happens is when we make up our own way to save ourselves, we make up a whole host of rules to go with it. What Paul says here in 10.3, he says, Since they did not know the righteousness of God, they and sought to establish their own. Sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. The people of Israel had 613 rules that they created to help pursue righteousness. They offered sacrifices. They did ceremonial washings. They kept the Sabbath. And on and on and on we could go. And all of these things, they want us to be like, hey, look at me. Look at all I've done. Look at all that I keep doing, God. I should be in. It wasn't God's righteousness that they were after. It was a self-righteousness. And so for Israel to admit that they needed a Savior, that they needed somebody else to determine their righteousness, that it actually wasn't based on what they could do, they were out. All of the privileges and all of the rules that the Israelites had as God's people didn't equal them being in. Only putting one's faith in the Messiah leads to that. Judaism, which is what our Jewish people follow, for all of its privileges, without Jesus doesn't save. Any religion, any religious effort, no matter how hard you try, without Jesus, there is no salvation. See, we're just as guilty as establishing our own ways, of our own rules, 
And we're sincerely wrong as well. We have all these things that we've added along the way to help us establish our righteousness. And here's the thing. We've added things that have just enough hints of God to make us think that it's the way. But when you look at them, they look nothing like Jesus, but instead some functional deity that we fashioned with our own hands. But we're convinced that if our neighbor and our brother and our sister and our family member, that if our city and our nation, if our state would just do X, Y, and Z, that everything would be okay. I'm so tired of us moving the goalposts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And what new cause and crusade I'm supposed to be all upset about. Instead of us being fathers to the fatherless and servants to the widows and and, and people there for the broken and the needy and a help to those who are helpless and a light to those who are consumed by darkness and a joy to those who are trapped in despair. Y'all, we are zealous, but we are zealous for all the wrong things. And so how do we make sure? How do we make sure that we're not zealous, that we're zealous, but not zealously wrong? Because I think if we're honest, our zeal hasn't always led us to be deeper followers of Jesus. It's just led us to be better cultural Christians. I say this because I look at the landscape of those of us who say we're disciples of Jesus. So many of us are just as immature as the day we started following Jesus. So many of us are still stuck in the patterns of the same old sins. We're just as angry and just as worldly as those who don't follow Jesus. And so many of us are devoid of actual true healing. This is why we think these discipleship groups are so important, that you need to be with people who are in authentic relationship that can make sure that your zeal leads to knowledge, and then that knowledge leads to submission to Jesus. Because if we're not careful, we will try to establish our own ways to be right. Paul says you can't do that. Paul says that the only thing that matters is you becoming more and more like Jesus. Because for Paul, Jesus was it. This is what he says in 10.4, that Christ is the culmination of the law, the telos, the end, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You see, for Paul, it was clear. Jesus is the end of trying to construct a way to God built on human good works and righteousness. Jesus ends our trying to save ourselves. Righteousness or justice, is God's doing. It is not yours. Only God can save creation. Only God can do what needed to be done. And God has made this available to everyone who would believe. Make no mistake, perfect righteousness is what God requires. But only God could do that. Only Jesus could fulfill everything that we are called to fulfill and then give us those things. All of our doing doesn't and cannot save us. No amount of law following can ever make us holy enough to be saved. And what happened was Israel was presented with this truth and they missed it. And they said no. When it came time to believe, Israel said they were out. What I know is that there are some of us here in this place today, watching online or out in Prescott Valley, who do not believe that you've been presented with the truth of the gospel, that you've been called to submit, you just haven't done it. 
is you still think you can do it your own way. And so what we want to tell you, what we want to offer you is that, man, Jesus is it, and it's for everyone who would believe. And so if you don't believe, we would say, man, believe in Jesus, respond to Jesus, submit to Jesus, and then begin to follow Jesus. And for some of us, we believe, man, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes that I've made. You don't know the sins that I'm currently doing right now in my life. And what I would say is, is that we believe that this gospel is for everybody. That it doesn't matter what you've done or who you are, what mistakes you've made, or how good you think you are. This says, man, this is for everybody. So we believe it because God's word says it. And so we want to present to all who don't believe the opportunity to believe. So if that's you today, man, I would just encourage you, man, to believe in the gospel. And for those of us who have said yes, here's my question. Is Jesus still your rock? The foundation your life is built off of. For some of you, you're in storms and you're getting beaten all over the place because your foundation is on everything else besides Jesus. You've tried to add or take away. So for you, the question becomes, is do you want a king? Because I think for some of us, we want a savior, but we really don't want Jesus to be king of our life. We just wanted a ticket out of hell, but we don't want to submit. And so for you today, the challenge is this. Will you actually submit to Jesus' way of doing things? I think he's in front of some of you, and he's calling you to lay some things down. But you can't see them because you're focused on so many other things. Let's believe in the rock. Build our foundation on him and pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and for your truth. Father, grateful. God, for those who do not believe, God, my call and prayer and hope is that they would believe that they would believe in your gospel. And for those of us, God, who have said yes to you, but have not really submitted our lives to you, God, may you convict us and may we repent today and walk your path. May you not be the thing we stumble over, but the thing we build off of. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.